Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode. The Nolcast. Uh, Bud will always thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and one hell of a sponsor for us. Uh, three simple ingredients in episode number three of the Nolcast uh, kind of instant reaction style here. As Bud, your impromptu editor, uh, continues on. Uh, so we may not have the uh, audio perfect here. We're uh, in a little bit of a transition, uh, but we hope to have this addressed pretty quickly and uh, honestly have been floored by the number of quality candidates. So uh, thank you to all that have reached out to us. Uh, we hope to have a, a new editor in place by uh, the traditional signing day. So uh, with that in mind, let's uh, jump straight into it, bud. And that is when the song uh, will We'll come yes, back. yes. The song is tied to the editor. Where there's no, the song's not going away. It was not a one one track sample. Uh, we're happy to be able to use that for a good time forward, and uh, the song will be back shortly. I just don't have the ability to like do all these levels and stuff. So, all right, uh, Ingram. A lot of recruiting happened this weekend, and Florida State is trying to finish out its 2020 class. It's trying to. Uh, Get a good start with the 2021 class, play some major catch-up there since a lot of a lot of your elite schools, the schools that you aspire to be where they are, uh, have already uh, been on these top kids for quite some time. But uh, they also are going after some transfers right now to try and sure up the roster for the uh, for the 2020 season. And we had some, some bad news and, and maybe some positive news come out in the last couple of days about transfers. So the uh, UCLA kid, Chris Murray, somebody that we mentioned last time, and we'll get to him uh, on a, end on a little bit more of an optimistic note. The sour one is Devin Cochran of Vanderbilt uh, deciding to go to Georgia Tech. Um, that would have been a, a real nice get for Florida State. And I'm not going to get too frustrated. Uh, I'm not going to get really frustrated at all with transfer portal stuff. It just hasn't, hasn't landed right for Florida State at this point in time. It would have been tough to peg Cochran uh, to Florida State. Uh, but I know there was some optimism there in a, a meeting that took place. Uh, so I'm not trying to tr- not trying to dismiss it. And uh, for those that I speak with who wish that we could do better in the transfer portal, I certainly understand it. But uh, up until this time, it hasn't been uh, hasn't been kind to Florida State. Exactly right. Um, so I will tell you that Florida State felt like it had a shot at, at Devin Cochran, your, your offensive tackle from from Vandy. Uh, and it certainly knows that it needed an offensive tackle. I mean, let's be real here. Uh, Marvin and Terry coming back are great, but I don't really think they matter all that much if you roll out the same offensive line. Because it's like, great, you're, you're better in those other areas, but you still have an offensive tackle position where you have just somewhere between below average to terrible football players on your roster. Like, is there anybody you think who can play at an average level at the offensive tackle position currently on this roster? I have real doubts about this. Now, maybe long-term, sure, but Randy Clements, in my opinion, was an awesome offensive line coach. And I know this new staff has a heck of a lot of respect for the job that Randy Clements did. And when you hear people talk about how good Clements was an offensive line coach, and yet you see the results sort of using the like logical deductions here, right? Let, let's use some reasoning. If the guy's a great coach, and you actually believe he did a really good job, and yet the results were still terrible... That means that the talent he had to work with was simply not there on the roster, which you know is a bit of an issue. Uh, this is really a big difference for Florida State if they can get some offensive linemen who can play 
They don't even need to be average or above average. They just need to get some guys who can be below average by ACC standards as opposed to terrible. Uh, if they can get that, then this line could get to below, uh, below average level, which is what we thought it should aspire to be for the 2021 season. It is disappointing that that Chris Marv and Coach Atkins, you know, obviously Marv had, had the relationship there from Vanderbilt. Coach Atkins is, is, I think, a good recruiter and somebody who the kids seem to like quite a bit based on early returns. Uh, but Cochran had some connections to Georgia Tech. He's from Georgia. And in this case, we, we talked about this pre-show a little bit. We're like, man, I wonder why he would do that. And one thing we came up with here is – if this is a kid who really cares about academics, as his initial commitment to Vanderbilt suggested that he did, okay, I got that. Do you think he cares about academics a whole lot with his graduate transfer? Probably so. In, in my opinion, I think it's it's likely that he would. And you would say, hey, but like Florida State's a better program than Georgia Tech. And of course it is. It's really not that comparable in that. But for the 2020 season, what's the real difference between Georgia Tech and, and, and Florida State? as far as expectations. A win and a half, two, two and a half wins. Neither team will be chasing a championship. I think Florida State has better odds to make a bowl, most likely, depending on what Georgia Tech's non-conference schedule is, but neither of them are, are guaranteed uh, to, to go bowling. So I'm not really, like, okay, I get it. Florida State's a better program, but for this particular upcoming season, it's not like, hey, he chose Georgia Tech over a chance to chase an ACC title. Neither team are going to contend for an ACC title. They just don't have the players to beat Clemson physically. Um, so I, I, it's hard to blame him in some ways if the decision factors academics in heavily. Just hasn't hit. Just hasn't uh, hasn't hit for you in the in the transfer portal yet. Uh, maybe one place where it does improve is with the pursuit of a UCLA guard. I'll stress that uh, guard here, but Chris Murray still would be a, a significant add-on for an offensive line that needs uh, any kind of positive piece possible, but uh, not exactly an answer on the outside. Yeah, so this is a player who we discussed last episode, some multi-year starter for UCLA, uh, and I, I believe he would be a good player for Florida State. Now I don't know I don't know that he's a graduate transfer unless I miss something, but he I think he had Stanford as an option back in the day. So there's a chance that he came in with with AP credits and all that kind of stuff. I would be kind of surprised if he was a graduate transfer after only 3 years, but I can't totally rule out rule out that option, but he's certainly a player that I think Florida State uh, would, would have interest in and I think it was Chris Nee uh, of Knowles 24/7 who reported uh, that Florida State flew out to uh, to see him, and so they certainly have interest. Um, I also, I mean, clearly we discussed that they had interest because we talked about him on the last show. We're not just pulling names out of the hat. There's over a thousand kids in the transfer portal at any one time, but he would be a, a player who I believe could help your football team uh, if they're able to get him. Whether that would help you in the 2020 or 2021 season, of course. Look, can you pull a kid clear across the country? He's California kid at UCLA. Florida State is on the other side of the country. It is not super easy to do, but it's not impossible. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, overall, some some less than satisfying news in the transfer portal. Uh, they also, at this point, do not appear to be pursuing a transfer quarterback. I know that a lot of people are very disappointed in that because it suggests that you'll either have uh, Chuba Purdy, who 
is on the Heisman odds, by the way. Did you see that mm, today? I saw yeah. that, yeah. Uh, Caesar Sportsbook apparently decides to put you a Purdy up. Um, I would tell people don't read into that a whole lot. Uh, and don't bet on the Heisman if the if the player you're selecting either plays receiver for a group of five team or on a power five team that uh, is unlikely to win uh, 10 games or more. Because in the playoff era, I'm pretty sure you're going to need to win 10 games in a regular season if you want to do something. So a little bit of a sour note when it comes to uh, graduate transfers and the transfer portal in general. The uh, more traditional avenue of recruiting has been uh, has been a lot more kind to Florida State recently. Uh, two big pickups to note here. We'll, uh, as we try to do with with most things, we'll try to have an authentic conversation about. Uh, hey, these are these are nice pickups. You know, they're they're not uh, cure alls for for what ails this program. They're not necessarily going to be immediate contributions, uh, but two kids that are significant pickups for a staff uh, that seems to be having a lot of success. Uh, when it comes to the appeal and, like I said, the more kind of traditional avenue of recruiting. Indeed. So let's go ahead and start with Corey Wren. Corey Wren is a really, um, let's just say he's a speedster. Corey Wren is a really, really fast football player. When you watch Mike Norvell's offenses, um, what you've seen recently at Memphis uh, is a lot of big runs and finding ways to, to get the ball to athletes in space, and they end up scoring a lot of long touchdowns. In fact, they're one of the better teams in the nation in terms of, of long touchdowns scored, and you generally do that with speed. Corey Wren is a guy, I'm not saying he's not physical or anything like that, but if you look at him, like if you said, okay, put on this questionnaire, why would Florida State take this kid? The answer is speed. He's like a like a 10-300 kid, I believe. Right. So, yeah. I mean, for reference, your elite track guys, like your dudes who, you know, we say, okay, they're, they're a track dude and they're going to have like a shot at the Olympics or something like that. They're generally more that like, you know, 10-2 type thing. Now, there's a difference there, clearly, but he is a very fast player and I, I think can help you, um, certainly. Now, he's, is he a guy you're going to get wildly excited about? Probably not, but this is the end of the 2020 class, like, realistically, there's not a whole lot of four stars out there that you can just go and get. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not uh, um, not super likely uh, to be able to do. So, You're picking up a kid that was previously committed to Georgia. Now, there was probably a, a mutual parting of the ways there, and I'm not trying to oversell uh, a Georgia offer, but if you're going to John Curtis and you're getting uh, kids who have that type of offers with that type of skill set, uh, that's a big, that's a big, nice get uh, and a, a real piece that the offense can uh, can have. And like you said, unique skill set, and um, it'll be exciting to see how he ultimately gets used. The second individual that we need to talk to or talk about here, Bud, and we will uh, we will pause the presses as Florida State has uh, garnered a commitment from an offensive tackle. Yes, I repeat, an offensive tackle. Wait, has come committed again? to Florida State. I know. Again, it's a phrase that uh, I may have to repeat multiple times as it's one that we haven't been able to talk about recently. Uh, but just a major major get um, out of a school or out of a kid that I really wasn't sure that they were uh, going to be able to get. I, again, I don't want to sell uh, a whole lot of optimism here. But if you're looking for positive aspects, if you're looking for kind of a positive canary in the coal mine, if uh, – if somebody could better verbalize that, I'll tip my cap to him. This is a good one, man. This is a good one. You beat out Ole Miss. You beat out Arkansas, who just hired an offensive line coach 
who uh, normally doesn't lose too many recruiting battles. Um, Robert Scott of Arkansas previously committed to Ole Miss. Uh, nice, nice get. Indeed. So with Robert Scott, right? I he had visited what? Not not two days ago, but the the week the weekend prior. Um, and Florida State felt good about where they were. Uh, I talked to my Arkansas contact coming off that visit, and Arkansas actually uh, told me that they thought that he had silently committed to Florida State. And I was like, well, let's see. Because um, Arkansas was certainly a lot more worried about FSU than it was about Ole Miss, because even though he had still been committed to Ole Miss, most of the Ole Miss folks didn't think they were going to hold on to him. Uh, despite the fact that Lane Kiffin saw fit today to just, retweet. Just a random retweet. Nothing to read into that. <laughs> Mature. Just, that's, that's weird. Like, So he retweets Robert Scott's uh, tweet. Original commitment. Way yeah. back in the day, uh, saying about how he's 100% committed to Ole Miss. Like, like Lane, if this kid had committed to you, I, I kind of get it. Maybe. Although it's still pretty immature. But if this kid commits to an old Miss staff that then gets fired, which is what happened, really? Lane Kiffin job hops like every three days. How many? Like, can you name Lane Kiffin's last five or six spots? It's just a, a move that you would kind of expect uh, from somebody like Lane, and and that's uh, if that's how you're going to handle like the hey, we're not going with you phone call, then. Uh, don't expect to get a whole lot more of those things moving forward. Yeah. So disappointing there uh, for Lane Kiffin, and uh, but Florida State gets a good player, or rather, I don't want to say good player yet. I, Florida State gets a good prospect in Robert Scott. Um, he's a guy who I think in two to three years could be a pretty good player for you. Uh, now he has the size certainly. I mean, he he has the length. He has a frame that is already fairly filled out, but can be filled out even more. But he's not. Like sloppy, I don't think he carries a lot of bad weight on his frame by any stretch of the imagination. He's a nice player, and it, it is good that, that you be, you beat out Arkansas and Ole Miss. Now, granted, those are not the schools that you want to be beating out normally, but you did make a great point, right? That, that Sam Pittman certainly wanted him for Arkansas, and that that's I, I think that's a really good thing to see. Uh, but I will note when watching his tape. I don't see enough aggressiveness and violence and uh, just meanness. And I'm not saying that can't be taught. Uh, Certainly, in some cases, kids do eventually get it, and they become more confident in their body, and they become more aggressive and assertive. Other kids, like uh, Christian Armstrong, right, The, the dude who's no longer on the roster, what was the major concern with Christian Armstrong coming out of high school? It was the softness. Now, I don't think Robert Scott is soft. I'm not going to say that. But I don't see a ton of like the aggressiveness, meanness, violence coming out of him. Uh, and so for that reason, he's not a player who I would project to play early. Or if he does play early, I would not project him to play well early in his career. But I can't rule out the idea that that light will turn on as he receives more coaching as he grows into his body, as he matures physically. A lot of these big men, they, you know what I'm talking about, like they do kind of develop at different times. And that's that's something to watch here. For Florida State, though, I mean, good Lord, baby steps, right? Like you got an offensive tackle who is not like a Chaz Neal type. So 
mean, uh, oh, that sounds mean. Somebody who's actually considered a legitimate offensive tackle prospect committed to you. That's not something that's happened a lot in recent years. Although I guess, I mean, Robert Scott, or uh, excuse me, Charles Cross did commit to you and was committed for quite a while, but then ended up leaving and going to Mississippi State. Uh, their coach subsequently got fired. Uh, but I, I think this is something FSU fans should be pretty happy about. But he's not a player who I would think, hey, like he can step in and start as a true freshman. He is not an Evan Neal type. Take a real brief moment here to remind people of our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, want to point people in the direction of the Tallahassee Wine Mixer, uh, for which tickets have just recently become available. Uh, info is at TallahasseeWineMixer.com. Uh, a, lot, uh, a lot to offer here. Unlimited wine sampling, red, white, sparkling, uh, you get the idea. Uh, in addition to the wine mixer, there's going to be a Mott's Fest. Uh, that's an entire area within the wine mixer, basically devoted to all things mozzarella. Uh, so, yeah, nice little pairing there. And then you get that, and you get the VIP access, bud. And that gets you unlimited charcuterie tent, uh, gets you in an hour earlier. Hey, uh, wine, mozzarella, and charcuterie, I promise you, you will... Uh, Feel pretty well when you leave, and you'll probably sleep pretty well uh, once you get back to your your preferred place of residence. So again, want to point people in the area of TallahasseeWineMixer.com. Our friends at Madison Social for the Table Restaurant Group are always doing big things. Another bit of good news that uh, appears to be on the horizon is uh, wide receiver prospect Darian Williamson, uh, decommitted from Tennessee here recently. Um, and again, I don't want to uh, just get overboard with optimism here, but this is a this is a good sign. Um, let's see, Jeremy Pruitt. I'd never, you know, ask him which one's the difference between like the salad fork and the dinner fork, or uh, necessarily how to uh, identify asparagus. But that guy has not gotten to where he has in life by l- losing a lot of recruiting battles, uh, and especially a a kid uh, like Williamson. So uh, you're right to point out who you're beating. But you got to crawl uh, before you walk. You got to walk before you run. And uh, forgive me if I'm not getting pretty excited about some of the early returns. Not look, these kids aren't four or five stars. I'm not trying to sell you guys on that. But if you're looking for optimism, these are the type of battles that you've got to start to win as you crawl your way back up the the kind of pyramid of college football. And the early returns are real positive. That's exactly right. I I, I think you you nailed it. Um, receiver is a position of need. You have a player we'll talk about in a little bit who we don't think you're going to sign at this point, who's currently committed to you. You do need some numbers at receiver. Uh, you didn't take a receiver last year in the class. And certainly at the time we said, hey, if they have a good year, that won't be a big deal. If they don't, it could be a big deal. Well, they didn't have a very good year, so now you need a body. Um, is Williamson a guy who everybody in the Southeast wants? No, but he's a pretty good player. And I think he could have a chance to help you down the line. Um, I mean, relative to, again, like we talked about last episode, and, and I think the episode before it as well, the idea that in these transition classes, your your, your attrition rate, your, your bust rate is going to be sky high compared to a normal class because you just have not had a whole lot of time to research these kids, to evaluate these kids, to get to really know who these kids are. And, and I, I think Norvell... Uh, Coach Norvell actually does a pretty good job of this relative to 
Like, think about the type of player academically that they would take at Memphis, and they managed to keep a lot of those kids on the roster. So if he has some experience evaluating kids who – some kids who might have warts and some who might not and figuring out, okay, I can use this player, maybe I can't use this guy, uh, That I think that's a really positive sign for him uh, probably. But, yeah, I think Williams is a player who, who could definitely help them. A lot of athleticism there. Uh, and he has a teammate, by the way, uh, who's very intriguing to me. In, in, in yeah. Marcus and Douglas, have, have you have you seen this kid? Yeah, real. Uh, <laughs> let's let's label him athlete. Uh, like kind of a six foot six, six foot five, uh, two hundred and fifty, two hundred and sixty pound kid with a basketball background. That uh, that's enticing. Get him on campus, let him eat, let him live for eighteen months, and see where you are. Uh, kids don't necessarily love getting. <laughs> hearing that they may project to the offensive line, but that that's a kid that could grow into a pretty decent tackle. Pretty I'm nodding tackle. right now. Yeah. Um, he could be a tight end for his first year who eats a lot. And then maybe he eats a little more for his second year, and then all of a sudden he's a 6'5", 300-pound tight end who happens to take some reps at tackle on a rainy day and then takes a little, couple more reps the next day. And then maybe all of a sudden the equipment staff switches his jersey one day and all of a sudden he's wearing 71 uh, instead of 41. And, yeah, like this is a kid who I think is a really good example of a player that you would like to target in a, in a tra- transition class like this, right? A couple things you want to accomplish in a, tra- in a transition class. You need to get some bodies to fill some holes, uh, and certainly tight end is one of those holes, but so is offensive tackle. So having a guy who projects to potentially either of those positions is really encouraging. You also need to find a way to get some guys who do have some true upside. And some of the dudes in this class have that, but a lot of them, it's hard for me to see them as having tremendous upside. Um, They're more just kind of plugs. Like you lost a lot of your better players in this class. For instance, Knighton went to Miami. Weidman is kind of committed at this point in name only. Well, Douglas is a a project because he hasn't played much football, but Michigan State recognized him and, and is on him now. Um, I think Florida State has a good chance to end up signing him. And he's a dude, if, if like, the the 90 percentile projection on Markerston Douglas to me is pretty high, man. Like, the guy's a good athlete at 250-plus pounds with some length to him. If, if, all, if all goes right there, and it's not guaranteed to, and odds are it doesn't, but if all goes right... He might be a really high-end player for you. Now, not in 2020, probably not in 2021, but like that could be a dude we could pull up this podcast in three, four years and say, damn, yeah, okay, we saw it that night. That was that was serious, and, and I, that's, that's really encouraging that they're able to get both those dudes. Obviously, they're teammates. I don't know if we mentioned that prior, but they are teammates at the same high school, and so that would, in my opinion, I think that increases the chance that they both play uh, play together at this level. So certainly uh, some encouraging signs there for Florida State. And uh, we know next weekend they have some more official visitors coming in as well. But uh, those were the two that they had this weekend. And it seems like they got positive returns from the pair. Elsewhere in the recruiting world, uh, Malachi Weidman, who we've talked about uh, for a long time being a a commitment kind of in name only, uh, set up an official visit to Oregon. Uh, It would appear he's looking – LSU has been a name that's been associated with him. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens with Weidman. But uh, by all accounts, uh, it won't be happening with Florida State. 
Yeah, uh, I, we can't say no for sure, but like at this point, you'd be hard pressed to tell me that Malachi Weidman is going to go to the Seminoles. Uh, I know he w- went on his official visit to Oregon. Tennessee uh, riders think that they have a legitimate shot at Wyman. Um, he doesn't really have a, a, much of a relationship with this staff other than Dugan's. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, he's, now he's a really like an elite talent. I mean, he's the second-best player in their recruiting class as far as their commitments and signees right now, in my opinion, uh, second only to Demory Tate. And, and I honestly, I think it's a kind of a decent drop-off from there. So that hurts you to lose him. Like, let's not sugarcoat this. I mean, he's a really talented guy. Uh, but, yeah, at this point, uh, of course, that, that assumes he qualifies. But that, that does hurt to lose a kid who's like a national top 150 player in a class that simply doesn't have many of those type guys. Donovan Kaufman is a name that we've talked about a couple times. He appears to be trending pretty heavily uh, to Ole Miss at this point. Yeah, so the Ole Miss guys, uh, if you if you remember back to the Cam Akers recruitment, were extremely homerish. Um, we would listen to some of those podcasts, and it was like, Rebel Hotline, come on down with that, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, I was surprised that they were even aware that there were other schools outside of the Magnolia State. Wait, is Mississippi State Magnolia State, or is that Louisiana? Magnolia is Mississippi. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so, all right. Um. But yeah, Donovan Kaufman, who is, I think he's technically committed to Vanderbilt right now, although nobody really expects him to sign there. Uh, Ole Miss writers, if, if you're reading their stuff, are very, uh, very encouraged about their uh, their returns from the defensive back, Donovan Kaufman, who a lot of guys in the Southeast who were at some bigger programs, I, I think we're sort of like, hey, like this is the guy we had in mind if we missed on some top targets or if we left mm-hmm. another school. For instance... LSU did not offer him, but when Dave Aranda, defensive coordinator of the LSU Tigers, went to the Baylor Bears to be their head coach, one of their first offers was Donovan Kaufman. Clearly, this is a kid that Norvell... Norvell is kind of a different case in that I think they had their eye on him at Memphis, but realized they weren't going to pull him away from Vanderbilt when they were coaching at Memphis. But like Auburn is also a school that I'm sure probably liked Kaufman some, but he's not necessarily like a player that they wanted to take talent-wise, height-wise, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's the height that has a lot of people concerned with him. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Ole Miss is a guy – I'm surprised Ole Miss did not offer him a little bit earlier, but then again they also had the issue of uh, um, uh, of you know they, they had a coaching change. So sometimes these things do take time. But I think he is a player who is held in high regard by a lot of staff, but maybe they just – not enough to offer, right? And if you're Florida State, if you're Ole Miss, if you're one of those schools that has a new staff, he's a player who can help you. So I'm sure Florida State will continue to recruit him hard as of, uh, what is today, Monday? As of Monday evening, he is not yet committed to Ole Miss. Uh, so I think the Noles still have a shot, but it does seem like there's a lot of positivity coming from those Ole Miss writers, doesn't it? Yeah, they seem to, seem to think that that's going to ultimately end up well for him. Uh, one other interesting name that uh, we've been talking about for about eight or nine months now uh, dates back to summer as a kid out of uh, uh, Moultrie, Georgia. Uh, DeJuan Edwards is uh, somebody that I think we've all been real kind of positive on as far as the talent. They're just not sure as to where he will ultimately end up. And maybe with some other 
higher profile running backs in, in question. Georgia's given him a little bit of a look where maybe they didn't earlier. Yeah, so this is, I think, tied to the Zach Evans recruitment, right? With with Dewan Edwards, your kid out, out of Colca County, um, he's a player who I think some people will tell you he silently committed to Florida State over the summer, and they wanted him to hold off probably due to some academic stuff. Uh, well, I think he's still a very good player, and I think he's got the academics a little more in order now. Uh, is Georgia going to get Zach Evans for a second time? Because he's already signed with Georgia, right? It's a hell of a story. To, yeah, yeah, they did not turn his letter of intent in because of reasons. And now he's apparently reconsidering Georgia. LSU doesn't seem to be that much of an option, but maybe they are. Bama's definitely out of it. Like Tennessee and Ole Miss are now throwing their hat in the ring. If you know how to read the tea leaves on this thing, this is about to become um, like a, a five-alarm deal, man. This is... Uh, this is just business is about to pick up to steal an old wrestling term. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Edwards. He did take his official visit to Georgia over the weekend. If Florida State can get him on a visit this weekend, I think like this coming weekend, I believe they'll have a shot to land him. He's a good football player and a guy who I definitely think that they could they could use uh, in his freshman season. I mean, who knows if if uh, everybody in the running back room is even going to be eligible, right? Um, he's a player they could use. He did take the visit to Georgia. I think if Georgia doesn't get Evans, then then it's an easy Edwards to UGA pick. If Georgia does get Evans, then I'm not really sure what happens there. Pause briefly here to tell you about Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit fsuhomeloans.com, you're going to be hooked up with Shannon Young. Shannon Young is the best loan guy in the business, I speak from experience. Shannon did my loan personally. He'll also personally handle yours. We're talking great rates. We're talking excellent customer service, knowledge of the industry. So whether it's, hey, you need to hold off on this for a minute or two so we can make sure we get the best rate, or hey, let's lock this in today. Um, do you want to play with these points or not? All, all, all these mortgage terms that I'm just throwing out here as a non-expert, Shannon is literally an expert on. So you want to make sure you hit up Shannon, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. More than 40 Nolcast listeners have now received their mortgage through Resolution Home Loans. We're excited about that. Something that we spent a lot of time uh, focusing on the previous podcast was Junior Day. Uh, we'll go over some of the highlights that came out of it. First of all, uh, Florida State getting a, a commitment. Pretty interesting prospect. Josh Farmer, a kid out of Gadsden County, um, Listed as defensive end, most of the tape that I saw was more at linebacker. Uh, interesting prospect, pretty thick kid uh, as a high schooler already at, what, 6'3", 250, somewhere in that area. Uh, nice nice little first building block for the class of 2021. I like this kid, man. He makes a lot of plays. I'm, I'm, like He's a, already a good player with some upside. Uh, I, I think he's a dude you want to point to somebody who, like, who could end up as a four-star player potentially. Uh, later on, now I think he'll have to go to some camps to get noticed a little more, show his wares against some better players out there potentially. I, I want to see a little more speed off the edge in his game before I'm like, hey, let's stamp this guy. He's a no-doubt star. But I think he's he's an excellent take for them to, to get a local kid who's already a good player with upside. Like you said, 6'3", 250-something. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the tackle, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he was. I think strong side end is probably more uh, of the likely landing spot for him, but man, like this is a this is a pretty good player 
already with some upside. You know who he reminds me of is I'll, I'll throw a name at you from like the way back. I'm trying to think what what year this even was. Uh, all right, Jamarie Rasco. Oh yeah, him? yeah, I remember who I know who you're talking about. This is uh end of the 2000s recruiting era somewhere. Yeah, is it 2010 somewhere in that been area. Like a Ten or eleven. Okay, it was definitely. Yeah. I think that was the first year I was full time with SB Nation, so it would have been 2011. And this, uh, where, there, was exactly. he at the uh, Northwest Louisiana, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah, he he was Shreveport kid uh, at, at at Evangel. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like to to see, like to see us referencing super old kids now. I mean, that God, he's he's damn near thirty. <laughs> you call that pretty cool. I call that uh, kind of depressing. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. And, and Rasco was a hell of a prospect. So that would that would be a, a nice get for Florida State. He was a top uh, hundred kid, to wasn't he? I think he was. He was right on the periphery, if I remember it correctly. Yeah, he was. He was a nice little recruiting battle, no doubt. Um, so yeah, I, I think Josh Farmer is a nice start for them. Um, in his Twitter bio, he has R.I.P. Mom and Dad. So. Uh, Taken literally, that sounds like like a, a pretty um, pretty tough tough backstory on that kid. And if that's what I read it as, then certainly, dude, you're rooting for extra hard, right? Um, yeah, I was like, what? That's mm, could imagine. So definitely, kid, we'll be uh, we'll be following uh, closely, and I'm I'm sure I'll get to see him play in person this year. Maybe he'll come down my way to Orlando and get into one of the Ar- Under Armour or. Uh, or the Nike opening camps, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. All right, uh, so, utter notes on Junior Day. First of all, uh, there were two major seven-on-sevens in the state going on. You had the Pylon event in Orlando, and then you had another event in South Florida. So, a lot of kids who you would like to see up there were not able to make it because of the seven-on-seven events. That's just kind of, that's kind of how the chips fall, unfortunately. Sometimes that, that's just what happens. And you say, hey, like, isn't that avoidable? Kind of, but kind of not. Um, you have to consider that other, pro- other programs have junior days this coming up weekend. Some of those programs are probably more high-profile programs than you are. So in weighing your options, you have to say, okay, like, do we want to hold it this weekend? There's a seven-on-seven tournament. But if we hold it this weekend, then maybe, like, Clemson and Bama and somebody else are all having their junior days on that day. Like, what is the bigger threat in terms of us getting – getting players on campus, and, and there's not a perfect answer for that uh, at, at this point. Uh, but they did get the commit Josh Foster, or James, excuse me. I kind of combined Josh Farmer into James Foster, the, the quarterback who went to A&M, and I believe is already transferring. Uh, but they did get some big-time visitors on campus. Brandon Jennings, obviously the son of Bradley Jennings. If you want to feel old, that uh, is a great way yeah, so feel old. He did not play yeah, that you, long. Yeah, if you're a younger listener and you want to Google one of the more influential and significant moments of time in Florida State football, uh, Google Brendan Jennings spring game tackle, uh, and you'll see a, a point in time to, which was a a very definite uh, kind of departure from Florida State's QB development, and in many ways can be tied to some of the problems that they encountered. Uh, right around the 2000s, but uh, anyway, I digress. This kid's a beast. Like you want to talk about? Hey, did, did they get enough four or five stars on campus? Eh, 
debatable. I mean, certainly if you looked at their list and you compared it to the schools that you aspire to beat, uh, the answer would be no. But I think it's a good start for them. And Jennings is a kid. He's a legacy player, a player who I believe it's going to be very important for Coach Norvell and his staff to lock down and, and, and to sign. Like, this is a guy you need to sign. If you're going to work out and, and have success for State in the long term, you'd be an absolute moron to believe that one kid is a great way to evaluate a coach. But he's a kid who's going to be an indicator, one of many, uh, to me, like how well would this staff recruit? Is this staff able to to lock down important legacy players? And I think he's we can classify him as, as one of those. Uh, they also had a quarterback on campus I know they like a whole lot, uh, Luke Altmeyer. Now, Altmeyer is an example of a player who I believe is a little bit underrated at this point in the process and will probably uh, receive a bump. Um, that's just based on, A, my own watching his stuff, and B, uh, I know the staff just loves him. And Florida State is not the only staff that I've heard about Altmeyer from. So that tells me that there's some other staffs that also think he's kind of underrated and uh, good for them for getting on him early in the process. Now, he's out of out of Southern Mississippi, uh, Starkville area. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. My guess is that's not going to be quite as hard as some people think because Mississippi State is, you know, not that great of a program. Like, Mississippi State's a program you should be able to beat for a kid, I think. Um, 2021 is a really good year for quarterbacks, I believe. It's not like the Trevor, Justin Fields year, but it's certainly better, I think, than what the last two years have been. In terms of depth of the position, uh, we did have some issues or some, yeah, two just like, stud studs this past year in Bryce Young and uh, and DJ, who went to Bama and Clemson, respectively. But the depth of the class was not necessarily amazing. This year, I, I do think it's, it's pretty nice. Um, so, uh, also, Ingram, I don't, know, I don't know how to say this, but Florida State had three or four uh, offensive linemen. On campus, I think it was offensive line. Okay, that, that joke's overplayed now. I get it. Uh, but yeah, they had they had uh, Micah Morris, big time offensive tackle out of Georgia. They had Micah Pettis, nice looking offensive tackle out of Alabama, and then they had Caleb Johnson, who's from Florida, and then Jake Slaughter, also from uh, from Florida, teammates there at Trinity. And uh, this is a nice little start for them. Um, they have like a like they're also in on Amarius Mims, who I know Coach Norvell went and visited uh, recently. Of course, you know he then this was this was the example of one of the kids that I said that some reporters just putting quotes in the kid's mouth basically at right. the uh, at the future fifty event, and uh, you know it's like okay, um, not really a not really an indicator where Florida State is based on some of those quotes because you can kind of get kids to say just just about anything. And uh, in this case, um, Mims tonight put out a, a, a tweet with, uh, like, which which, uh, which outfit or which jersey do you like the best? Bama, Tennessee, and Georgia. So despite all the, hey, like, nice comments about the Knowles, yeah. Mims okay. is a 2021 kid that those of you aren't familiar is a Georgia is incredibly deep class of the offensive line, uh, offensive tackle in particular. And Mims is a kid out of Georgia who might be the best uh, tackle in the class, super highly rated and uh, quite the prospect, but uh, quite the prospect that Florida State uh, will not be involved in by all accounts. 
I mean, like, I know that Dillingham knows him and that kind of stuff, but at this point, I'm very, like, very wait and see there. And for that reason, I mean, I do think Florida State fans should be excited about who they actually got on campus. Micah Morris is a kid who said really glowing things in all the interviews coming out of there. Uh, now, granted, are they going to get Micah Morris? He may be a little bit too high on the level for them to sign, but I'm not going to write it off at this point. It's too early in the cycle for me to say no way. I don't know what Georgia's going to do. Like this might be a situation where if he gets slow played by some other schools uh, and Florida State fast plays him and makes it clear like he's their top target or one of their top targets, that they're able to land him. With Pettis, I feel like Pettis is a really nice example of identifying a player who might have some additional upside early in the process and getting him on campus. And Caleb Johnson is a guy who I, I think is, is a real real candidate to go to Florida State and somebody who they may be able to get out of Trinity. Uh, his teammate Slaughter, uh, Jake, is more of an interior guy. But this is a nice little start for them, getting some kids on campus. And we know they have to reload this offensive line recruiting room. There's just not a whole lot of guys on campus who you feel can play at Florida State's level. Uh, they also landed, not landed, excuse me, I don't want to, I don't want to create like a message board stir. They uh, got a couple kids on campus in the form of uh, Luke Alt, or excuse me, uh, Amari Harvey and Terry and Arnold, two local DBs. Uh, Harvey's a guy who I feel like we talked about last, I think we talked about him last episode, right? Saying, hey, this kid could be a bell cow for your for your class. He's, he's pretty vocal on social media. And Terry and Arnold is a dude who I feel like has a lot of athleticism and can be a big time hitter for you too. If you're able to get those two kids in the boat, uh, that's that would be a nice start for your recruiting class there in the secondary. And I think those are two dudes that they're not automatics. You're going to have to keep recruiting them. But uh, they're not maybe quite the battle, in my opinion, that a guy like a Xavier Sori, who I didn't put on our outline, but we need to mention uh, because we mentioned him on the last episode too. Like that, that kid's going to be a pretty uphill climb, in my opinion, to, to get him to not go to the SEC. But... Uh, just the I responded to uh, the show tweet that you put out last week with a highlight of that kid dunking a basketball in a high school game, and uh, holy shit, dog! That that is one big fluid athlete. I mean, damn, damn, damn! I told you he was athletic. Yeah, yeah, no doubts about that. That that is a impressive <laughs> dude. Who, uh, yeah, maybe Florida State can be involved with. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he's he's got some juice to him. Um, and honestly, like the build he has, he could end up being, uh, like even maybe a linebacker at some point, or a, mm-hmm. like a, a jumbo box safety type player. Uh, all right, so I wanted to kind of close with this as far as the recruiting talk, and then we'll get to our Patreon uh, questions. But so my, my thought right here is okay, they did a nice job with the junior day. Uh, the talent was. I think solid relative to the hand that they're dealt as far as what happened the last three or four years here in Tallahassee. Uh, also with the seven on sevens competing in the state, it was tough to get some kids up who you would have liked to seen uh, come up. I'll also note that a lot of your elite players in this class are already pretty much spoken for. And it's not impossible to flip some of those kids, but you're not going to flip many of them if you win like five, six, seven, eight games in the regular season, which I think is a pretty reasonable range. That's a wide range. I mean, that's God, it's like a, <laughs> two games either way. But like that's a pretty reasonable range. Like 
five and seven, six and six, seven and five, eight and four, somewhere in there is probably your most likely record at this point. None of those records are going to be enough to really impress most of the kids who I would say like are the elite kids whom are already spoken for by your more elite programs right now. So you're not going to be able to play catch up very well, in my opinion, with those kids who already probably know where they're going. What you need to do very well in the next month and six weeks for, for Mike Norvell's staff is finding some of the kids that you feel may be the next big thing, or at least may just be the next like quality player and get in on them early. Cause I do believe this staff has a chance to win some recruiting battles if the recruitment of that player starts at the same time for Florida State as it does for, I don't know, a Florida or a Clemson. So it's not impossible to beat some of these teams that right now have better teams than you do and have you know better, very, very recent success. It's much easier to do that if you are offering them around the same time that those programs are. The kids that Clemson's been on for months, you know, for like a year, like the, the defensive end they just pulled out of Central Florida, who, you know, people are like, oh, Florida State's got a chance. I'm like, yeah. no, they don't. Yeah. Nope. No, they don't. Like, the kid's going to Clemson, and they're not even in his top seven. I don't know why you're putting this nonsense out to readers, but okay. Well, he committed to Clemson last week. Like, that's the kind of kid, and there's a lot of those type of dudes who they already know they're going to go to Ohio State or Clemson or Georgia or Bama or LSU. You need to really focus your attention on trying to to find the kids who maybe aren't, don't have their minds made up or who don't yet know their studs. Because I think the staff has some recruiting jobs to it. If it can start, like if if they're not having to fight battles where the other where the opponent already has a huge head start on them. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying like they really have to nail their evals in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think it'll be uh, fascinating to watch how it plays out. Uh, I think Florida State has a chance to get a lot of traction and do really well, but I think you're right to point out the fact that uh, even in 2021, uh, you're fighting an uphill battle with a lot of these kids, and a lot of these kids that have been super elite kids that have been t- you know quantified since their freshman, sophomore year as one of the better players in the class. So uh, it'll be a challenge, but a, a challenge that'll be a lot of fun to watch how it plays out. All right, Ingram, family law is a really complicated issue, and it's very helpful to have an expert navigate those waters with you if you're going through a family law issue. Our friend Travis Johnson of the Metter & Johnson Law Firm is that guy. Board-certified family law attorney, very few of those in the state of Florida. He is one of the elite class. You can reach him at 850-435-9919, whether you're going through a divorce or maybe you have an alimony question. Uh, perhaps you have some you know, an issue as far as uh, children, custody, visitation, uh, need, need the court to intervene. Whatever you need, Travis is equipped to handle your needs. He has cases throughout the state. One of the leading family law attorneys in the state of Florida. This is a, a decision that you want to get right the first time. Travis Johnson can help you get it right. 850-435-9919. Uh, you want to get to our Patreon questions? Yeah, we've got some Patreon questions, uh, a couple email questions that we will jump to. A uh, decent amount of these focus around basketball. Uh, but the first one is, uh, do you think Florida State upgraded in getting Woodson as the DB coach? Also, by how many hundreds of thousands is A&M overpaying for rushing 
given his G5 coaching background. Lastly, is A&M having to consistently overpay for its coaches because no one will work for Jimbo for market rate? Wow. That's a lot of questions there. Um, I can answer the third question. one pretty well. Uh, I'll, you can, I'll let you do the first two. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we think we upgraded getting Woodson as a DB coach? Uh, no, uh, I don't. The people in the building were pretty impressed with the rushing, uh, like we discussed on the last episode. You're talking about a young guy who uh, has, what, I think six years in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, has a degree from Stanford. That's a pretty impressive guy. Now, people taking up the idea that he's a Republican on Twitter uh, aside, like he, I think he was going to be a pretty good recruiter for you uh, for Florida State. Now, when I say I don't think they upgraded, I mean, look, I think nobody – like Mike Norvell was not going to be able to tell you they upgraded because his first choice was rushing, right? Like that, that would be disingenuous for him to say, yeah, we definitely upgraded. Now, maybe it turns out that they did upgrade and hindsight will reveal that potentially. But I think it is fair to note that Woodson was also a name that we heard frequently uh, during the search, um, although even if he wasn't the first choice. And I don't think that the drop-off from Coach Rushing to Coach Woodson is huge by any stretch of the imagination. Like, you can say, no, they didn't upgrade while still saying the downgrade is not is not huge by any stretch, if that makes any kind of sense. Uh, regarding A&M, I spoke to somebody uh, recently who uh, spoke with Jimbo. Ultimately, he's not going to join that staff. But, is this uh, the guy I think it is? Who yeah, also... it is. Okay. All right, yeah. It, it is. Um, there's not a lot of ambiguity there right now. Okay? They're going to pay you. You're going to be – if not the highest paid person in the field, you're going to be one of the top three. Uh, and look, AM isn't trying to negotiate with anybody. AM is trying to pay you, get you on board, and uh, not waste a lot of time. So, uh, yeah, that's their approach to things. I mean, it might work. We'll see. Do you think, uh, by the way, an AM related question Do you think that Kellen Mond, the light will turn on for him as a passer? Or do you think that maybe they'll change up their offense and run him a lot more? <laughs> um, I, I think that Jimbo will continue to work with him with the idea that he's going to turn on as a passer. I, I don't think that uh, Jimbo has a whole lot of aspirations of changing, and uh, James Coley certainly won't be the, the voice in the room that makes Jimbo go about that change. Yeah, so Coley uh, is back as the tight ends coach at A&M. That's tough. Uh, I wish was the he, best for I've James, but James. that's a tough place. Yeah. Was he out at Georgia, like officially, or did he just read the tea leaves? Oh, uh, I think he was encouraged. I mean, so James Coley, it was spelled out pretty <laughs> early to him when he took that Georgia job that the his employer, his employer was going to judge his performance by how he recruited, um, so if that's what you're going to tell a guy when you hire him and then you make him an offensive coordinator, that's it's kind of a strange relationship there. Uh, I think James was basically told to look elsewhere. Uh, he probably would have been on staff in some capacity, but when you're the offensive coordinator and they go out and hire Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator, well, that's a, that's a toughie. That is indeed a toughie. All right. Uh, Keegan actually is uh, – uh, not a Patreon member, but uh, we wanted to share his email anyway. We do take some questions from email and Twitter from time to time. 
Although, as we said before, patreon.com slash nolcast, we do take a look at the Patreon questions first. Kagan says, uh, during the last episode, y'all discussed the newly released schedule and made a couple of sides on some teams improving over the offseason. I'm curious as to what you think uh, about the other teams on the schedule and whether you expect them to improve, regress, or experience a bit of both. Additionally, I'm interested to know if there's any data on coaches who over or underperform in year one of a new, new gig and mean regression, like Dan Mullen taking forward seven squads at 10 wins his first year, Satterfield at Louisville surpassing what many thought would be likely for his first year, or Willie seeming to outperform year one. Uh, and in that same vein, do coaching tenures tend to show linear improvement over time, or is there more variance than one, like myself, might expect? Go Knowles. Uh, P.S. want to say that not only, not only is the Knollcast the best Knowles-related podcast out there, it's also just a very good podcast in general, good audio quality, very little talking over each other, and the ads are very uh, unobtrusive to the experience. Well, that is exactly how you get uh, a question read on the Knollcast. Look at that. I'm glad you heard us in uh, you know year 8, 9, or 10 or whatever it is, Keegan, because the first uh, 12 months is probably nothing but us talking over each other. But, uh, hey, it takes a little bit of time there. Um, okay. Yeah, a lot of questions, a lot of information here. So um, – is there any data on coaches who over or underperform in year one of a gig and mean regression? I, I I actually don't have the data on that. I could hit up a friend who I think we all know who might uh, might have actual data on that. Um, as far as other teams on the schedule, I think there's several teams on Florida State's schedule that you can expect to bounce back from. I think West Virginia will be a better football team this year in year two under uh, under Brown, their, their new head coach. Generally, in year two, you do see an improvement we actually saw that here in Tallahassee. Not enough improvement, clearly, uh, but it generally does happen. Uh, but it is interesting to see what happens. Sometimes coaches actually overachieve in year one, and then there is a bit of regression in year two because the, uh, the year one performance was not necessarily of a sustainable nature. In fact, we saw that a little bit uh, in terms of the record with Jimbo, right? Like, all the metrics said his 2011 team was better than his 2010 team, but the record uh, was certainly not as good, and the product on the field did not look quite as good. And part of that is the schedule that they had in 2011 was a little bit more difficult, and they didn't win nearly as many close games in 2011 as they did in 2010. Um, Do coaching tenures tend to show linear improvement over time, or is there more variance uh, than he might expect? It's not perfectly linear, certainly, but there is a decent amount of variance generally though it's like you can kind of tell within the first what two three four five years there's not a whole lot of like frank beamer types anymore where uh, like the guy doesn't do a damn thing for his first five six years and then all of a sudden it turns on like year eight now part of that's probably just because people don't give him the time anymore You want to move to the uh, basketball questions at this Let's point? Let's do some basketball questions where we are certified experts at basketball and certain experts. have all the answers here. Absolutely. That's that's uh, that's what I tell myself anyways. Uh, I see, and this is a kind of a merged question that we had four or five times uh, that we tried to put into one, but I see where Ham is getting a new contract. How many more years do you expect Ham to coach, and does the admin have a Ham, a post-Ham plan in place? Um, so I, I think Florida State uh, with Leonard Hamilton is kind of where Florida State was uh, with Bobby Bowden right around 1999, 2000 or so. I'm not comparing the two as far as the, you know, obviously Hamilton hasn't won national championships, but they have a really good coach uh, coming to the end of their tenure. 
but a really good coach who's kind of at the highest level of the sport right now. So there's not a whole lot of uh, post-ham plans as far as kind of some people I've talked with in the athletic department. What there is right now is a serious push to try to, uh, and this is kind of tied to our next question here, but to try to find some of the elements uh, that bring sustained success to a program and and try to capitalize on this uh, and give it as much sustaining power uh, or sustainability as possible. They've uh, put a decent amount of money into the arena, uh, into the game day atmosphere, uh, some of the other things that have uh, been in some of that build out. Uh, they're pretty happy with how that's played out. There's been a lot of uh, money gone into some aspects of the uh, basketball facilities. The locker room has received a pretty consistent upgrades. But yeah, I mean, Florida State's never going to have a ridiculous kind of blue blood money, uh, but they are, I think, trying to uh, kind of entrench themselves as much as possible with the recent run of success that they've had. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty fair answer. I, I like the idea of identifying like what it's going to take to help them get to the next level. But also, I mean, not only for coach ham, but also if you're showing that you have the ability to put those, uh, processes and resources in place, at least to a certain extent, it could also make you a more attractive job to the guy who's going to have to follow coach Hamilton whenever Leonard decides to hang it up, which doesn't appear to be anytime soon. The guy doesn't age, which is great. Uh, and he's just, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. He's got a he, he lost uh, he lost CY a couple years ago, but for the most part, he has retention uh, year over year of his assistants. I don't think there's a you know uh, there's there's not a, a better situation uh, as far as how this has played out for Florida State coach Hamilton, some of his supporting pieces, um, and that kind of lends us to the next question: Is there enough financial commitment to play basketball? At a consistent high level, this reader identifies that as top 20 nationally. Once Ham is gone uh, and FSU is in place to attract uh, that next hire and what kind of coaching talent does that look like? Uh, top 20 nationally is a little tough. I mean, that's a team that uh, theoretically is you know, sweet 16 almost every year, which obviously that's kind of been what Florida State's been over the past two or three years. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily set that at the level, but I would – I would like to see Florida State stay a top 20 uh, or top 30, 35 level program where you're uh, pretty consistently making the tournament, uh, where you're threatening in conference. Um, there's some things here, some success that can be built upon. And I think, yeah, I think there's a financial commitment to basketball that hasn't existed previously. Um, and a lot of people in, in power who want the program to be good. There's a There was kind of a noticeable shift about 10 years ago or so with some of the some of the support that basketball received. Uh, and that's not, I don't, in my opinion, going away. I think there's some, some staying power there. Yeah. Like I, from my perspective, I would like to see them like make the sweet 16 more often than you miss the tournament. You know what I mean? That, to me, that that's mm -hmm. the kind of range. Like you're making, you're making the tournament most of the years. You're making a run in the tournament more often than, you know, you're, missing the tournament. I think that yeah. would be that would keep most fans I think pretty damn happy. <laughs> uh, I think it's I think it's as somebody who's, you know, like gone through the lean years of Florida State basketball and as a kid got really excited to watch him make a, a NIT final four run, uh the idea that we can talk here and consistently 
talk about making a sweet 16 is uh, still kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around. Uh, next question we have is who is the player we can point to that turned the basketball program around and put it on its current path? Tim Pickett wasn't enough, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't too far after him that things started getting better. Uh, I love a good Tim Pickett reference at any point in the podcast. And uh, for some of our younger listeners that weren't familiar with Pickett, uh, Tim didn't have too many intentions of sharing the basketball, but Tim could drop 32 on you just about any night and was a, a hell of a player. A lot of, a lot of exciting uh, times to watch for a program that didn't have a whole lot of exciting uh, things to offer otherwise. Rise and fire, man, no doubt. I, you know, I this is probably too recent to say, but I, Terrence Mann really kind of embodied a lot of what this program does as far as hustle, doing the little things. I, I, I like watching him play, and I, it's, it's just it's probably too recent, right? Like I can't. Like he, he played um, last year, so. Yeah, I'll say for me, a real big player is Al Thornton. Uh, that was a. a like you looked at that guy and you're like, all right, first of all, that guy's different That's freak of an track. athlete, really good. Uh, played defense at a level that was incredible. And, uh, but that was somebody they really developed. I'll, I'll put another point out there. Chris Singleton, uh, to me was a big guy. That was a, first of all, that was a big recruiting win. That's a, that's an example of Florida state going up against people in basketball who they don't normally go up against, at least in that time and winning, a uh, kid from Atlanta where Leonard's always done pretty well, Georgia in general. Um, and then the, you know, I'll give, uh, <laughs> I'll give Corey Clark credit. He, he talked a lot about how Jonathan Isaac uh, really kind of embodied this program and that some of his, uh, his unselfishness is still evident in the program. I thought he made a great point about that. And that's a kid that was exceptionally talented who uh, had a level of buy-in that you didn't necessarily have to see. And to an extent, uh, that that still kind of is with the program. So, those are those are some names in the in the wayback machine that I would point out that were significant in the transformation of Florida State basketball. I think that's our show, buddy. Hey, hopefully y'all enjoyed it. Ooh, there's a real quick question: Does the team have a legitimate chance at the Final Four, or even better, even better, bud? Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I hate to point a basketball team to whether or not they got a Final Four as to whether or not a successful season. Um, look, if this team can win the regular season ACC, uh, that'd be a hell of an accomplishment. Really almost as impressive as uh, any kind of tournament, uh, ACC tournament win they've had. <coughs> and any Florida State basketball season that survives past the first weekend of the tournament is a uh, wildly successful one in my opinion. So um, I'd, I'd hate to get to a point where, you know, we're acting like Duke and if we don't go to final four, then things are wrong. And uh, with that, that probably is the show. All right. Let's think about this real quick. How many teams do you think would be favored over Florida state on a neutral site in college basketball by like more than five points. Uh, I don't think that would be more than three or four teams. Then I'm going to say, yeah, they have a legitimate chance to go to the Final Four. I mean, do I think they're a top four team? No, but to me, there's kind of like two or three squads that are, kind of stand out and then a large cluster of everybody else. So 
Like, if you can give me nine or ten teams that you think are legitimate, no doubt, like five, six-point favorites or more, then okay, yeah, I wouldn't say this. But, yeah, I think there's a legitimate chance they could make a Final Four just because, I mean, you're talking about winning some games that you'll be big favorites in and then win a couple coin flips, most likely. And then you'll have to pull an upset, probably, but it's not going to be a huge upset. I mean, most of these teams that you would play, what, what kind of seed do you think they would get right now? A three seed? Uh, they'd be a two seed, in my opinion. Okay. So so if they're a two, I mean, to get to the Final Four, you would probably have to play a one, right? That would make sense? Yeah. 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 So that means, like, Sweet 16, you're, you're going to be favored in your Sweet 16 game, most likely. That's pretty encouraging. Your Elite yeah. Eight game, you'd have to win. You'd have to pull an upset if you have to play the one, which is not guaranteed. But... Like, Michigan State's getting better as a team. So that's that's not a team I think I would pick Florida State over right now. I've been trying to study up in college basketball a little bit more here recently. <laughs> would you pick Florida State over Gonzaga? No. Duke? I don't think so. Probably not. Baylor's Does it have a legitimate chance? I would say yes. Should you use that as a barometer for success or whether or not it's a successful season? No. Well put. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. What also is fair is if you like the show, give us uh, give us a little five star review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. It helps keep the show up there in the rankings. Um, I don't know how to say this, but we always try to add new listeners at a certain point. Like there's only so many Florida State fans in the universe, so and a lot of y'all do listen. We very much appreciate it. We love our longtime listeners. We had a lot of y'all email us and say, "Hey, I've been listening." You know, for the past six years, seven years, like that's that's awesome. We appreciate you for it. But yeah, if you want to, give us a five star review on iTunes. It would be appreciated. And uh, as a reminder, if you haven't given us a review in a while, you can actually give us another five star review if you feel good about it. So we'll talk to y'all soon.